Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. So today I hope we can just look at the word together, do a little bit of a teaching to see um, how we can understand what's for today and what's not. How many would like that? So we're going to take a few minutes and do that and just touch on the surface of that because we could spend hours and hours and hours on that. Um, But I want to say this, as a church, our our values uh, are very important. And every every church, every family, every company, anytime there's a group of people that gather together in relationship, there needs to be values. And that's what kind of drives and makes the thing go. And so for us, our values are, uh, we use the word riches. Say riches. Okay? And so uh, the first one is R, which is relational discipleship. And I want to talk a little bit as we're going through this study, talk a bit about relational discipleship. It's very important that uh, in, in sharing truth with people that we're, we're first willing to build relationship, right? Because it, it, we have to love people. We've got to get into people's world. And sometimes it's, it, it, there's a temptation to say, I, I've got I've to prove my point. I've got to tell people what I believe. But in, relationship is very important. And so we believe as a church that one of the things we do is we have a connect group during the week. It's like a small group where people meet together in relationship and there's ministry one to another. How many know we need each other? I want you to turn to the person beside you and say, you need me, all right? Now, if you're sitting with your spouse, don't turn and look at somebody else and say that. It could take in the wrong way, right? But we need each other, right? And, and we, we need to have fellowship one with another. It's very, very important, all right? And so, uh, so, so we believe that relational discipleship is important. The, the second value is innovation. We want to be a church that is willing to innovate and do things new so we can reach the next generation. We're not quite there yet. I actually want to have a panel in the next few months where I get some millennials and some Generation Z people up here so we can ask the questions. How can we better reach your generation? What can we do different as a church so that we can impact your friends? What would, you, what would make you feel comfortable to bring people to church? And, you know, when you start asking those questions, you're going to find out that... Uh, the, these, these generations are not as concerned about, like, we can be spiritual and we can love the Lord and we can lift our hands, but it's how we're approaching the next generation. And so we're, we want to we innovate, okay? Uh, the, the, the next one is character. We want to have character. Character is doing the right thing when no one's looking. It's like taking the mask off. We want to have honor. We want to honor one another. The next one is integrity. And then the last one of our values is servant leadership. We believe in leadership structure. How many know that there's a structure in the Trinity? God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's order. There's order in the family. There's order in the local church. But the thing with leadership in the church, God's type of leadership is is servant leadership. Right? Jesus didn't hand out titles. Jesus handed out towels. And he said, wash one another's feet. Right? And so we want to be a church full of servant leaders, okay? And so these are all values that we're striving for. I haven't arrived yet. I'm a pilgrim in progress, just like you, but we're moving towards these things, okay? But ultimately, as believers, what we want to do is we want to mature in our faith. How many want to mature, right? So we want to mature in our faith. We want to mature in the things of God, okay? And we we need to understand what that looks like. In Hebrews chapter 5, Verse 13 to 14, it says, Everyone 
who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Now, this is not talking about, you know, uh, what you drank this morning. This is talking about spiritually. There are certain scriptures and passages and doctrines in this book that are kind of easy to, to digest. How many know what I'm saying? And uh, everyone who partakes only of milk is unskillful in the word of right standing with God, for he is a babe. Let's go to the next one here. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So maturity is the ability to discern between good and evil. So we, we want to discern and say, okay, this is good, this is evil. This is a good thing this person's doing, but they have an evil motive. And you begin to exercise your spiritual senses to discern between good and evil. Okay, And so there are two areas that we need to balance out in our life in order to mature in our faith. And the first area that we have to balance out is what we believe, say doctrine. Okay? Doctrine is so important. And, and, and one of the reasons why we're doing the Bible plan is I believe that God wants us to be a, a people that can give an answer for what we believe. In fact, Hebrews chapter 5, uh, actually 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 says, be diligent. Do you know what it means to be diligent? It means you've got to put some effort in, right? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. We're approved by God, but we need to be approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, and here's the word, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so I want to spend a few minutes talking about what that means. Because if Paul is saying here that you, you, he wants you to rightly divide, guess what? That means you can wrongly divide. And it's very important. We need to learn how to say, I need to learn to rightly divide the word of truth. Okay? And so, I want to look at that this morning. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, uh, in Hebrews, we're talking, in this context, we're talking about the old covenant and the new covenant. Okay? And when we read the Bible and we're going through our Bible plan, we need to understand that the Old Testament is made up of several covenants. So first is the Adamic covenant. Then there's the covenant God made with Noah. Then there's the Abrahamic covenant. Then there's the Mosaic covenant. And in each covenant, there's a dispensation of time. And there's a, there's a time period that this is how God is relating to his people. This is what's required from God's people. So there's all these different dispensations. The main one is the Mosaic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant, Okay. Now, this is important because when the Bible says we have to rightfully divide the word of truth, that means we have to understand what was for that dispensation of time and what's for now. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. So, it says here in Hebrews uh, chapter 8, verse 13, okay, God's given a new covenant, and he has made the first obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete is growing old, and it's ready to vanish away. And the next verse in Hebrews 9.1 says, the first covenant between God and Israel had regulations, say regulations, for worship and a place of worship here on the earth. So there was all these regulations that when you read the Bible, you're like, they had to do what? Like what? Like they had to, they had to wear certain clothes. They had, they had to, you know, do all these ceremonies. What's that all about? Well, there was different regulations 
but say it's obsolete. It means it's no longer relevant. Okay? But then um, Hebrews 9, 1 says, The first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place to worship on the earth. And if you went on to read... Uh, verse 2 to 7, it talks about how there was two rooms in the tabernacle. It talks about all the furniture and in the tabernacle, what the purpose of the all the furniture was. It talks about the religious duties of the priests. It talks about the process of atonement, how they had to offer blood for the sins of the people, that only the high priest could go in once a year for himself to offer for his sins and for the sins of the people. We read all about that stuff. But you can read all that for homework. Say, that's my homework. Okay? But there was all of these regulations that they had to do. Okay? But I want you to go to Hebrews 9, verse 8, because we're going to skip those verses. And it says, By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. Guess what? I got news for you. That temple and that system is not used anymore. And the Holy Spirit said during this period of time, there was a curtain that blocked off the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was and the very glory of God was there. Nobody was ever able to enter. But what happened when Jesus died? Does anybody know this is a question? The veil was torn because we were moving into a new dispensation of time. And for those of you who maybe haven't studied this yet, haven't got here. When Jesus died on the cross, if you read it in the Gospels, it says the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. And it had to start at the top because God tore it. And, and so the presence of God was no longer in a temple made with hands, but was available to live in the temple made without hands, which is you and I. Say, my body is the Holy of Holies. God's presence is in me. And if we could just get that and understand that, that we're no longer, we don't have all these requirements and we don't have to have the table of showbread. We don't have to have the altars of incense. We don't have to have all of these things anymore because we ourselves are the temple of the Holy Ghost and your heart, your spirit man, your mind of your spirit is the Holy of Holies where God dwells. And isn't that an awesome thing? And we need to get this in our spirit, okay? And then Hebrews chapter 9, verse 9 and 10 talking about the old system it says this this is an illustration pointing to the present time for the gifts and the sacrifices that the priests offer are not made to cleanse the conscience of the people who bring them they're not able to so in other words when you come to jesus and ask him to forgive your sins guess what happens you don't feel guilt anymore how many have ever experienced that like you know you just you go and you say god please forgive me and wash my sins away, and you can walk around, you walk away and you feel, I'm cleansed. Well, when they went to the priest, God would cover their transgression, but they still walked away feeling, like, I still feel, like, lousy. Like, I still regret what I did, and I'm just heartbroken. I just feel like crap, and I can't believe I did that. There was no washing away of the conscious. How many hear what I'm saying? Okay? But we don't have to worry about that, Okay? This system couldn't wash it away for that old system deals only with, and here's the food and drink, okay? Say so the old system had to deal with food and drink. Here's the next one. Various cleansing ceremonies, say that, and physical regulations. Say, thank God I don't live in the Old Testament. And these things it says here were in effect only, say only, until a better system could be established. 
And so we don't have to live under legalism. We don't have, to, we don't have all of these, you can't eat this. You can't drink that. You can't, you know, you have to wear certain clothes. You have to, you have to, you know, pray so many times towards facing in a certain direction. You have to go wash in the dirtiest river in India to get your sins washed. You have to do this. You have to do, because what religion does is religion says what you eat and drink is important. Religion says various cleansing ceremonies are important. And religion says physical regulations are important. But guess what? We're not part of a religion. We're part of a relationship. Give the Lord a hand. And so you say, well, why would God give them that system? And I'll tell you why, because they asked for it. God knew a man named Abraham, who was a father of faith. Before the Israelites went into captivity, he found a man named Abraham. And the Bible says that he believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness just because he had faith in God and he obeyed God. But the children of Israel followed Moses out into the wilderness and they came to Mount Sinai. And God said, listen, I want you to be friends with me. I want you each to be like priests, like Moses, like Abraham, who can come and talk with me and have a relationship with me. And the people said, no, 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 we're scared of you. You, you, you just give us a religious system. Moses will be the leader of our religion. And we'll just take all of, because if you study religious history, you'll see that religions always had all of these systems in place. Give us that. And so God said, okay, I'll give you your system. So God was never intending it. That wasn't his plan, okay? And so I want you to say again, thank you, God, God. that I'm living under the new covenant that is based on new promises, okay? Um, Now we're going to move forward a little bit. Are you guys okay? Am I losing anybody? We're all good? good. Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. It says, there's one Jesus who mediates a new covenant between God and all the people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance that God has promised to them. For God, Christ died to set them free from the penalties of the sins that were committed under the first covenant. Any sin that you would commit under the first covenant was all taken care of through Jesus Christ and through the blood of his cross. So this is what I want to talk to you about today. This is the most important thing. In the Old Testament, everything up to the end of Malachi, there was established three different laws. Say three laws. First was the moral law. The moral law is unchanging. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Those laws are still applicable today from the Old Testament. So those laws never pass away. They They follow through every different covenant all the way through to where we live today. But then the second set of laws, there's three of them, is ceremonial laws. And the ceremonial laws are obsolete. And then the third set of laws were the judicial laws, which are also obsolete. Okay? Does that make sense? Because Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10 says, But this is the new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So guess what? We're not under the law. The law is in our hearts. People, there's this, this, all this theology. We're no longer under the law. We're under grace. There's truth to that. But the thing is, the law has been written, the moral law has been written in our hearts and in our minds. When the Holy Spirit moved in, he took his law book with him. Amen? In fact, this is what David said about the moral law. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That's a cool ring. I like that. The law of the Lord is perfect. Say it's perfect. 
Like if you read Psalm 119, it's the longest psalm. I think it's the longest chapter in the Bible. David is talking about the law of the Lord. He's like, I love your law. Lord, I want to meditate on your law. Your law is better than gold. And we have this idea that the law is negative, and it's not. The moral law of God is amazing because what it does is it's put there in order to, um, to protect us. It's not there to control us. Pastor Peter does this awesome, great point. I'm going to steal it this morning. But he said, a stop sign, when you come up to a stop sign, what is the, the spirit of that stop sign? What is the reason for that stop sign? It's, it's so that you will stop, all right? But that stop sign is not there to control you. It's there to protect you, right? And to protect other people as well. So if you come to the stop sign, you're like, oh, stupid stop sign. You stop, and then you keep going without looking. Did you fulfill the spirit of the law? Did you fulfill it? No, because you can still get hit. You didn't. The purpose of the stop sign was to get you to stop and to observe and be careful, right? And that's what it means to um, be under the spirit of the law. But you know, the law can be used unlawfully if it's not used right. See, God wants us to use his word to be a healing bomb to help other people and to help ourselves self-evaluate but we can use it to hurt people in the wrong spirit for example i can say to my wife in anger you're supposed to submit to the bible says submit you know you need to submit to your husband and she'll look at me and say well the bible also says we're to submit to one another in the fear of the lord and it also says you're supposed to love me like christ loves the church and you ain't loving me honey and i'm telling you now are we using the law to bring life or is it bringing death to that relationship it's bringing death So remember, maturity is being able to discern between good and evil. And we can use God's word in an evil fashion to hurt people. And God wants us to discern how we take his word, how we apply it, because the law of the Lord is good, converting the soul. Am I preaching okay? You guys getting this? Okay. So so here's the thing. The purpose of the law, okay, the Bible teaches us, okay, that according to the New Testament, that love is the fulfillment of the moral law. It's what it is. Because Jesus says, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, you will fulfill the Ten Commandments. That's what it says. Because why, you see, if I commit adultery on my wife, if I did that, that would bring death. See, God wants to protect this. See, God wants to protect relationship. So if I did that against her, now what am I doing? I'm crushing her I would hurt her emotionally. I would set a really bad example for my kids. I would open a door for a generational curse to come into my family line. And God is saying, thou shall not commit adultery. Now, is that to control me or is that to protect me? If you lie all the time, guess what happens? You have no integrity. You have no characters. Nobody trusts you. Does that protect your relationship or does it destroy it? It protects it. I want you to say the moral law is good. All right. The Bible says, you shall not murder. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, taking of human life is, is forbidden. Jesus elaborates on this commandment in the Sermon on the Mount, and he reveals that the sin of mur- murder begins in the heart. Okay? And so murder is still a sin today. Committing adultery is still a sin today. Stealing is still awful. Bearing false witness is awful. You know, coveting what other people have is awful. But the laws are there to protect our relationships not to bring death. That's the moral law. But let's look at one other thing here, okay? The moral law is unchanging, and I don't have time to get into this, so if you want to throw stones at me, throw them after the service. I'll gladly talk to you about it. The moral law is unchanging except with the exception of the fourth, which is the Sabbath, which 
I'll teach on it at a later date. The Sabbath is still one of the laws of the Lord, but it was taken out of context. Now, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 says, Let no one judge you. Say, let nobody judge me. In food or drink, or in regarding to a festival or a new moon or the Sabbaths. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 to 17. Which, which, is, which were only a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Jesus Christ. So the Sabbath, the way that the, um, the Sabbath, we're to keep the Sabbath holy, but what happened is when, when, um, when Israel came under the ceremonial laws, they were told, this is how you keep the Sabbath holy, and that was ceremonial, and that was done away with. That's why Jesus would go and do stuff on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees were freaking out, saying, you can't do any work. This is what Moses said. It's part of the ceremonial law. And he said, hey, Sabbath was not made for, uh, for man, but man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. It's a time to rest. It's a time to get to know your family. It's a time to worship God. But it moved into ceremonial. Does that make sense? And we'll talk more about that at a later date. So I want you to say the ceremonial law is obsolete. Now, can I give you just a few examples of that? Okay, here's some of them. Men were to be circumcised. That was a ceremonial law that was introduced not even by the Mosaic Covenant. It was introduced in the Abrahamic Covenant, but it's passed away. Because the leaders of the church, the 12 disciples, the apostles realize that and they set that standard so you don't have to be circumcised say thank you jesus that's good you don't have to worry about that especially if you're a man and you're grown up that would be awful okay number two they could not eat or touch pigs okay that was a ceremonial law good news if you like pork you can eat it nothing is to be called unclean you can literally eat it It, it, unless your conscience bothers you that's between you and the lord They, they could not touch any dead person women were unclean during their menstrual cycles they had to go out and have a a tent outside of the city. They could not wear clothing made of linen and, and wool, which were put together. They couldn't sow a field with two different types of seeds. The priests could not have any defects. There's all kinds of ceremonial laws that are obsolete. Say they're obsolete. Okay? And then the third laws in the Old Testament were the judicial laws. And Jesus changed the, the judicial laws. Okay? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 to 39, okay, you need to understand that the judicial laws were attached to the moral laws. So, so, so even though the moral laws, okay, thou shalt not commit adultery is still a moral law today that we have to follow. But we don't have to follow the judicial law that was attached to it because we're not going to drag someone out in the center of the city and stone them. Because Jesus said, this is, we're cutting this off. This is no longer, and I'll show you here. It says, Jesus said, for you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now, if you lived in biblical days and someone punched you in the mouth and you lost your tooth, people would come and hold the other person. You go, okay, now it's your turn. Pop, and hopefully knock two out, right? And it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It was judgment. Okay, say judgment. Okay, look what Jesus said. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other also. The moral law was not changed, but the law of judgment had changed. And this is why the Pharisees were freaking out. Because here's a guy who's coming, who's like, he's right on with morality. But he was breaking all of the other judicial laws. and He was breaking the ceremonial laws. Yet the Bible said he was holy and he was without blemish. Because what God was measuring him by is the dispensation that he came to represent. Is that good? One more verse, a woman caught in adultery. It says here, Jesus returned. We know the story, but we're going to read it with different eyes. Returned to Mount of Olives. 
But early that next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And look how Jesus responds. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and rode in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, and he stood up and said again, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. See, he was taking it from judicial acts to a heart issue. And look what he says. And they stooped down. he stooped down again and rode in the dust. And when, when, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And she said, No. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so the enemy wants you, as you're reading through the Old Testament, to start saying, I'm going to come under judgment. I'm going to come under judgment. And, you know, you're not under that judicial system. If you come with a pure heart and say, God, forgive me. He's faithful. He's just to forgive you your sins. We're living under the dispensation, the time period of grace, where God is pouring out his mercy. He's pouring out his unconditional love. He cares for you. He's no longer holding your sins against you. And, and the enemy would even use the word of God. If you don't rightfully divide the word of God and understand what was for now, what was for then, the enemy can actually use it to bring you into confusion. And that's why we have broken up denominationalism where some churches like, you got to worship on Saturday because if you don't worship on Saturday, you're breaking the Sabbath. If you don't wear holy underwear, uh, you know, that nobody knows about until you join the church and been part of it for, you know, a year, and you find out you have to wear holy underwear. Um, you know, st- like weird stuff, you know, you can't drink caffeine. If you drink caffeine, you know, uh, that's all ceremonial garbage. We're not under that stuff. Say, I'm under grace. Can I give you some homework? Leviticus chapter 18 give you all the laws concerning sexuality and what's acceptable to God in regards to sexuality. It's all laid out there. In fact, the he, I don't want to get into it. I want you to do your homework. But up until that time when Moses gave these laws, incense, incest was normal and all kinds of other really perverted things. If you read the chapter, you're going to see that God came and divided and said, this is good. This is not good, and it's still the same today. Hasn't changed. Say, the word of God, the laws of God are not made to tear me down. They're made to build me up, and they're made to protect my relationships. Amen? So say, we have to hold doctrine, but we also have to hold one more thing. And you know what that other thing we have to hold in balance is fellowship. And I'm going to close really quickly here. I want to say this, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 We're moving into the New Testament now. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, teaching, and to fellowship, and the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to pray. And let's look what happened here in the next verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 46. And they worshiped together at the temple. What did we do this morning up here? We worshiped together. But not only did they do it in the temple, they did it Each day they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and to share their meals with great joy and generosity. And I honestly believe that as a church, that's why it's so important that you connect with one another outside of this place at a connect group. 
at a coffee shop, whatever. Connect with one another because we need each other. We need to build each other up. We need to motivate each other. This word fellowship that we read about is the word quanania, which means communion and intimacy. How many were at the men's breakfast on Saturday, just yesterday? We had some quanania. Do you know what that is? It's like we sat around. Peter shared a bit of what God put on his heart. And then he opened up the floor and each person began to say, hey, this is what God's showing me. And this is what, you know, I was studying and they, everybody started sharing one with another and building one another up. That's called quanania. That's called communion. And if all we ever do is come on Sunday and listen to somebody preach the Bible, what we do is we get doctrine. But if we don't get the fellowship, the purpose of doctrine is to strengthen fellowship. And when God sees the two of them come equally together, what happens? It says right here. Read in the next verse. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, they're praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Okay? And each day, the Lord added. Say, the Lord added. To their fellowship, those who were being saved. And why is it important? Why was God adding people to the fellowship? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to close in just a second. Only a relational bridge is strong enough to carry the weight of truth. Only a relational bridge is strong enough to carry the weight of truth. And so what happens is when we have relationship one with another, right, and you really care for the person and they care for you, you can say the hard things that need to be said. You know what I'm talking about? I have really close friends that can say, Travis, you know, you're being a doorknob right now. You got you to deal, like, you got to deal with this in your life. And you know what? I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm a doorknob and so are you, but I'm going to work on that. But not everybody's earned the right to come up to me and say, you're a doorknob. Can I be that simple? Because only relationship is strong enough to carry the weight of truth. And so God wants us to have quantania, to be intimately connected with one another. So that's why we do connect groups as a church. Um, God is good. Anybody get anything from that today? Awesome. I have a ton, a ton of more things to hit, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit it next week. I'm gonna, we're actually going to have a panel, and we're going we're gonna to have some discussion with some of the small groups, the connect groups, uh, and what has happened in their life, how they feel it's helped them to grow over the last year or two. I'm not going to go there today because I want you guys to just really soak this, what I talked about, up. There's, there was three laws in the Old Testament. The first one is, say, the moral law, the ceremonial law, and the third one is judicial law. And the early church, if you read the, and actually there was one ceremonial law that actually pertaining to food and drink that we're supposed to follow in the New Testament. Do you know what one that is? Don't drink blood. That, uh, I don't have the scripture reference, but it's, you know, the, the, uh, Paul said the, the disciples got together and they agreed. They said, listen, all of these ceremonial laws, you no longer need to keep them. The only one we, we say is to abstain from blood and food sacrificed to idols. So there was two things that were supposed, two ceremonial laws that didn't pass away. The rest did. And so this is why we have to rightfully divide the word of truth. It's very important. And I've had Christians that love God that come and they're like, I just, I gotta, I just really feel like I gotta circumcise my kids. I'm like, you really don't have to if you don't want to, man. Like, it's not New, it's not new Testament. You can if you want to. But I mean, you know what I'm saying? So we need to rightfully know what's for today what was for yesterday is that is that okay so let's stand and we're going to pray and we're going to can you can we finish with that praise song as as we go and if anybody has uh, any prayer requests our prayer team is here uh up at the front they're good. you just come up for prayer we'll pray with you we'll agree with you for whatever um you need father i thank you lord that your word is the same yesterday 
today and forever. And I thank you, Lord, that we have the ability to study, to rightfully divide the word of truth, to know what's for today, what was for another generation, and where you're bringing us. And we love you, and we thank you, God, for that discernment in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our message. If you are in the Quinty West area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West, Trenton, Ontario. Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.